Good evening, it's just gone three minutes after seven. Welcome to Law Focus on 5M88.1. My name is Melissa Tindueni and I'm together with Tepa Mohabi and we are going to be your engineers for the show tonight. Yeah. That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, we're going to talk about all of the topics that are of interest in the law and in you know our our day to day lives, particularly what's topical and what's relevant to you, uh, our listener. And the idea is to get across your legal rights and to try and make sense of what happens in our courts, what happens with our laws, and how they apply to you each and every day. And tonight, as uh, Tepo has rightfully said, we're going to be discussing an issue uh, that I think really caused a stir since last week in South Africa, and that is our presidential pardons. So to give you a background to how we got this topic, uh, last week, one of our former FISMAS uh, 4 activists, Kanya uh, Tregeshe, was denied bail again. Yeah. So he was found and convicted of uh, violence and damaging property. And in 2017, he's been languishing in jail since then. He was actually given an eight-year sentence. Yeah. So being denied bail again caused his appeal. quite a row. Yeah, pending his appeal, pending yeah. his appeal. And um, the Minister of Justice then tweeted that he's going to assist with the presidential application uh, pardon for Gageshe. For and obviously it has issues of separation of powers and some of those we're going to definitely be talking about the impacts of presidential pardons and issues like fees must fall those activists how they are going, might be treated perhaps differently to people who in other protest actions like your strikes for service delivery what about if you are someone who damaged property in that kind of process? Will you also get a presidential uh, pardon? So opening up the floodgates, we're going to talk about the impact of this on law and the rest of society, as well as obviously the people who um, find themselves in the situation. In 2010, I remember uh, former President Jacob, uh, Jacob Zuma was sitting with 300 applications for presidential pardons at the time. And it included some of the former apartheid police act, uh, um, spies, such as Eugene de Kock, as well as uh, convicted uh, fraudster Eugene de Kock. I mean, Shabir Sheikh. <laughs> Shabir Sheikh. And this year we also have... Interestingly, uh, still alive, although he was terminal. Because of that. Remember that. Oh, yeah. We also have uh, uh, this year Abatembu King, Dalin Gebo who is also hoping to get a presidential pardon. Oh, yes, yeah. he, he has also, since 2012, been yeah. uh, in prison. Well, it should be noted that uh, Lamola has paused his, um, his intention to assist with an application pending the outcome of the appeal because the matter appears to be going to the Supreme Court of Appeal. And obviously then you should let that play itself out mm. prior to doing anything. Yeah, uh, it's a very interesting one because he's got... Um, she actually pleaded guilty to a number of the charges rather than being convicted on a number of the charges. So it'll be interesting to see what his appeal is based on. A conviction which is a no contest, um, a guilty plea which is essentially a no contest plea is very different you know, in the appeal stages to a conviction. But anyway, uh, to help us unpack all of this, uh, is we're going to have a discussion with not only uh, Dennis Masango, um, hopefully we'll get hold of him. Um, uh, but uh, more importantly, we'll be talking to Christine Buerta, who is the manager at the Center for Constitutional Rights at the 
uh, at FW Declared Foundation, as well as a journalist analyst, uh, Pepe Lapi Dube, who has written extensively and quite, you know, intelligently on this topic. This is a topic which isn't one that uh, a lot of people will deal with. Even me as an attorney, it's not something that I often deal with. I, I, you know, parole and things like that, yes, but presidential pardons are a category all by themselves. But anyway, I'll, uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter and keep the conversation going. Uh, it's at VowFM using the hashtag LawFocus. Uh, podcasts are available at Iona.fm and you're tuned into Law Focus on VowFM 88.1. Coming up after the break, our legal hotspots. Remember, I'm Tap Mohapi and I'm with Melissa Ndiweni and we're your hosts for tonight. Rounding up all, all the top all stories, the of, stories the of the week, it's Legal Hotspots. Looking at the current affairs during the course of this week, um, we go straight to Pretoria with the Nicholas Ninau conviction. Uh, he was sentenced to life imprisonment for the sentencing uh, for the rape of a seven-year-old girl in a toilet cubicle at the Dross restaurant in Pretoria East. Nina was also handed a five-year sentence for possession of drugs and, uh, and defeating the ends of justice. Um, yeah, he, he served that. Uh, the, the judge said that the, um, the third count which is defeating the ends of justice, would be served concurrently with the first count. So he will serve uh, a life sentence in five years. Okay, a life sentence in South Africa, guys, remember, is not for life, eh? It's 25 years. Um, but it is a very good conviction. It's about the maximum that he could have gotten under the circumstances. It so was like five years, five life sentences. Um, one sentence is 25 years. Does that mean it would be 25 times five? If it's served concurrently, no, that means it's an effective 25 years. And if it's not served concurrently, then well, yes. It, it'll be spelled out in the judgment. <laughs> but normally it's concurrent. Mm. So it can, I mean, they can accumulate, but uh, as a general rule, we serve them concurrently in South Africa. Okay, so you usually are going to get out of jail at some point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you mustn't kid yourself. In, in South Africa, parole is, is, is a possibility. It's a reality. It's there. At some stage, you're going to be released. Nobody, uh, very few people will be sentenced to, to, to imprisonment for the rest of their natural lives. That's kind of sad, but okay, that's another story for another day. Yeah. Uh, well, leading us to our discussion this evening, unfortunately, in the interest of uh, time, we're going to only deal with two legal hotspots tonight. Uh, presidential pardon benefits. We did have a story last week that was published of a former struggle veteran. His name is Nathaniel Mashilo Masimula. He's an old man, and he was once convicted many, many, many years ago of fraud. So he eventually was uh, uh, granted presidential pardon in 2011. This is after his serving time, eh? After serving time. But from the period 2002 to 2011, when he was serving time, the... His, the special pension appeal uh, board did not uh, pay him any of his pension money because they felt that no, you are convicted and therefore you've lost your benefits. After the the presidential pardon, they still did not pay him any of his pension money, and um, they felt they felt that the conviction uh, was still enough to sufficient them not giving this man the money that was due to him. He then obviously took the case on, uh, eventually going to the Constitutional Court, which ruled last week that because of the presidential pardon, the fact that he had 
served time and was once convicted of fraud is going to be treated as if he did not have a criminal record. So from why the, is that again? Due to the presidential pardon, you said. Due to the presidential pardon, um, and so from the time that he was granted it in 2011 he should be given all the pension money from there until now and obviously beyond um for as long as he lives uh, but from the time when he was serving time that's the only time that they can he can forfeit um his financial benefits because of the conviction of the fraud so that is some of the issues that we're going to be looking at are benefits of presidential pardons it's interesting that he's a struggle veteran hey, i'm on a struggle veterans struggle <laughs> veterans <laughs> what are you insinuating yeah zuma's a struggle veteran <laughs> yeah and he's bordering on poverty yeah. apparently nowadays um i I mean i I just find it interesting that so many of our struggle veterans are are in in uh on the wrong side of the law i wonder what's going on it is a horrible are they not being taken care of is that what's forcing it or i mean is there just a moral degeneration is this a whole there's a whole other conversation right there hey tapo um one that we can definitely have at some other points obviously if you do want to be part of this conversation and i would hope that you would like to be part of this conversation it's going to be an interesting one if you uh were part of fees must fall and you know what happened and you have friends who are in jail or might have gone to jail for some time and some of them are still not coming out degrees are still yet to be finished but people unfortunately are stuck somewhere where they should not be um or maybe you think that where they should be um that's up for debate we're going to have this conversation twitter at vfm using the hashtag law focus uh facebook as well vfm and we do have a whatsapp phone again so you can whatsapp us on o eight four oh seven eight four nine one two i'm going to repeat that please 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 take notes we are available on whatsapp if you want to join the conversation ask questions or just make comments we will make sure that we um say what it is that your view is zero eight four zero seven eight four nine one two uh after this we're going to find out basically what you thoughts about the circumstances that a person who was once convicted uh, should be actually given presidential pardon for what are those circumstances that a convicted person should be given presidential pardon for this is what you have to say I think uh, the factors uh, preceding the, the conviction should play a, a huge role. Like, for example, if we take the case of Kayan Kakeshe, you know, it happened under the fees must fall protest where, pe- where students were fighting for uh, fees to fall and then uh, curriculum to be decolonized. And then if you look at our history and uh, how the TRC happened when uh, those comrades were given immunity, even though there was enough evidence, some of them were even convicted. But after they came forth and then they disclosed uh, their criminality, they were given immunity and even in the instance of Kanya he was not found guilty per se he did not go uh, through the trial but he admitted guilt so that means he has shown remorse so those circumstances are pretty much similar like the TRC so I think they would justify someone to be considered for presidential pardon first I would say you look at the circumstances around which uh, a purported crime was done Borrowing from the example of the ANC itself during the time of the struggle, where stuff was banned, uh, there were bombs used, and the government was aggrieved, and rightfully so, because it was damage to property. But was it necessary 
were they ever going to be able to get any other response from the government without resorting to extreme means? So you would find that people resort to extreme means, not because they are criminals, but purely because it is out of frustration. So I would say if the government would do an introspection, including the president, and say that have we been responding to, uh, to protests adequately enough to stop people from frustration that would cause them to engage in extreme means. If the answer is in the positive, then you would find no reason, I think, for presidential pardon. But if we look carefully, I think most of the time, more often than not, the answer will be to the negative, which would grant uh, presidential pardon in certain, certain circumstances. Yeah, that's an interesting take. Everyone thought speaking about the circumstances leading up to the incidents, references to the armed struggle and that situation, and then perhaps the motivation as to why people did exactly what it is that they did. Mm. It's interesting because everybody, when committing a crime, it doesn't matter what crime they're committing. I'm just speaking from what I've seen. It doesn't matter what crime they're committing, whether it's uh, a murder, whether it's uh, a robbery, whatever the case may be, will often have some sort of justification as to why. Well, I'm hungry, my children aren't eating, Uh, that person has done X and Y to me, I was provoked. And so in their own minds, there's always a justification for why they commit the crime that they did. I don't know whether we're being romantic about this, but anyway, it's not my decision to make. And it's not your decision to make. It is the president's decision to make. And what we need to do is discuss whether or not we have a good understanding of really what goes on. And let's say hello to Di- Christine Boeta, sorry, who hello is joining Christine. us right now. And she is um, the manager of the Center for Constitutional Law at the FW De Klerk Foundation. So she's going to be the one speaking to us right now to help us unpack what these presidential pardons that we are talking about are, whether they are important, how we should understand them. And we're going to later deal even with some of the current ones and even former ones that you might have heard of and how you think South African law and even the president should be dealing with this issue, opening up the floodgates and whether it's open to abuse and that's going to be a very interesting conversation. You you, you definitely want to be part of it. Um, Remember, you can communicate with us on WhatsApp 084 078-4912 or on Twitter at VIFM using the hashtag Law Focus. Um, we are discussing presidential pardons. If you've got anything that you'd like to add, it's got 19 minutes after 19 and we are being joined now by Christine on the line. Hi, Christine. Hi. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm very well on yourself. We are good, thank you. We are very well. So, uh, let's start with the very, very beginning. Kanyak Legeshe, Fees Must Fall activist, finds himself on the wrong side of the law and now he uh, is potentially, uh, if, you know, pending the appeal, might be lining up for a presidential pardon. So, what exactly is a presidential pardon? Okay, I think it's just important to take a step back. So he was appealing his um, conviction and his sentencing um, at Her Majesty's Court and um, it was denied. So latest regarding his um, legal or this litigation is that he's apparently petitioning to the High Court. 
Um, so, importantly, so just after an announcement of his dismissal for his leave to appear on magistrate court, um, the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services actually tweeted, and that's what caused such social uproar, because they actually tweeted that they will be assisting him um, regarding, uh, for an urgent, urgently assisting him to apply for a presidential pardoning, something to that effect. And that opened the question of what is presidential pardoning? Um, you know, how does it work in the law and um, when, that, when is it applied? I think, you know, what is important for people to understand is that it's a, a, you have to look at the Constitution. The answer is specifically provided for in terms of a Constitution. It is a prerogative right of only a president. So the Constitution specifically provides that only a president has this power. So it's in terms of Section 84 to um, J. So it specifically leads to um, the president has the power of pardoning or approving offenders and emitting any fines, penalties, or forfeitures. So in effect, it's actually a forgiveness of offense. Um, so only a president can, an application has to be made to a president, and this can only happen after he has been convicted. Um, so considering that he is currently, or apparently to media, he is looking at petitioning to a high court to, to overturn his um, conviction and sentencing. So currently he's still in the process. So appeal, there's no conviction yet which he can, so there's no consideration, no consideration can even be given to a question of presidential pardoning because he hasn't exhausted all legal remedies. Mm. Um, so I think that's very important just regarding, it's a little bit, because it's a bit, bit technical um, regarding law. And, you know, you have a minister who's tweeted about it and it's just caused, you know, quite an uproar. Yeah. Um, so presidential pardoning is complete forgiveness. Um, there isn't any, in terms of the constitution, there isn't any, it's not restricted, it's not stated, he, um, he doesn't need to consult any ministers as well. Um, there's no guidelines provided in terms of um, lit- um, legislation. But importantly, it doesn't mean it's... Um, it, it can't be tested, the president's powers. It can't be reviewed by a court. So you can't abuse presidential pardoning. It's always um, a question, can it be abused? Yeah. Um, fear of it, you know, considering political... I think it was um, a while back, a question of should be a shake and presidential pardoning, and also just, you know, a question of how um, can it be abused. So it's always at risk. But, again, the president, the president also has to exercise um, even discretionary powers such as this, which he alone is able to exercise, he has to exercise it rationally. Mm. And um, if, it, if it's abused, and, and it has to be in terms of a constitution as well, meaning if you can prove how he exercised it, it was against um, any rights on the Bill of Rights, um, if, if it was against good faith, for instance, if it was a bribe and said, well, you know, if you pardon me someday, I will pay you money, etc., it can all be overturned by the court. So, so just to give you some background. Yeah. No. Well, that is very substantial. I wanted to ask you. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, recently, <thank> you too much. <laughs> recently, there was a, a ruling with respect to one of the president's prerogatives, um, the one about shuffling of, of, of cabinet, um, uh, where it was, I think it was decided that um, he must, if, 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 if requested to do so, give reasons why he's made the reshuffle. Prior to that, he didn't really have to. If you remember that infamous incident where Zuma simply reshuffled the cabinet. What kind of impact would that ruling, do you think, have on this presidential prerogative? Would it have an impact or not? For me, at the end of the day, any 
you know, even as power, any presidential uh, presidential power in this regard in terms of the constitution has to be ra- rational. Um, so specifically, it can always be reviewed by a court on rationality. And I think it is a laxer form of review. So it isn't, um, you need to see if, you need to see if there's a link between the legitimate purpose for which um, he applied, he makes the decision. Um, so it is a bit of a laxer form of or review, but it's it's still um, it can always be reviewed. So I think you know, at the end of the day, we're looking at rationality. Mm. And it's interesting because you you've been saying, okay, this is the power of the president. Who though? can request a presidential pardon and 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 then also just let us know whether the president's decision is binding or like you're saying it's subject to is it always reviewed after he gives a pardon or if someone feels that this particular case needs to be reviewed then they bring that to the courts for review how does it work so is it who the two questions is who can apply for a presidential pardon and then um is it always reviewed? Okay. So there's no, again, there's no legislation regarding, there's no restriction to how he exercises his power or how he, um, well, obviously there's restriction regarding he has to, um, it can't be, and it has to be in good faith and so on. But there isn't, for instance, um, it isn't a fact, it isn't a case where you're looking at um, someone who's been sentenced, who's been convicted and sentenced for, instance, for, teen, um, for crime and it's looking to expunge his criminal record um, because of an employment status and so on. So that will be a completely different group. And they have very strict requirements regarding that. For instance, it has to be, you know, 10 years has to, has to be passed. So getting back to your first question, there isn't any specifications. There isn't any specifications regarding um, who can who can apply. Um, but what, what will always be important is... Um, what, you know, there is certain criteria which we've seen developed from from constitutional court judgments in this regard, just saying, well, you know, it can't be in bad faith. An aspect that would be considered, for instance, could, for instance, be considered as public benefit um, um, and the public interest, for instance. Um, if comes, if these facts could be considered, but there isn't, again, any law prescribing to, um, to the president what he has to take into account. So does that mean Ronald Lamola? Sorry, that's maybe your first question. Sorry, sorry for interrupting you. Uh, did I answer your second question? Well, you did, but then um, I, I do have a follow-up. Does that then mean okay. that the, just, the Minister of Justice was not 100% wrong in suggesting that he can assist with the application if anyone can really do it? Well, an application is made. An application, and it goes by, as I understand, it goes by the department. But ultimately, it is the president who has to apply his mind. It is only his prerogative power. Um, so I think, you know, we saw, I saw uh, just just before I came on um, for this interview, I just quickly read, well, you know, he's, um, the minister actually tried to clarify his position and said, well, you know, we are, we will, the department assist, for instance, application for this regard. I don't think it is something which has happened at such a, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's such a, a big event, of, you know, it's often happening. Um, it is, and it's not quite clear what are the numbers regarding that, for instance. Um, so I don't think this is a scenario, and I think it's quite a long process. From what I understand, a little bit on the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development side, it's quite a long process. Mm. But ultimately, it is the president's decision. And what, what is concerning here is, you know, you've got a legal process running. 
you've got he's still got legal um, options regarding his you know appealing to or specific petition to to a high court and it is not in a road yet and you've got a minister making tweeting about it um, you know let the legal process run it out let NPA do its work you do not want her kind of and there's some concern about um, deceptions being raised. I mean, presidential pardoning is a very specific is a very specific process, but it's only the president's prerogative power. He doesn't need to consult anyone on it. Um, so I think it's not. I think the minister should keep out of it. Should not be. Um, should not be tweeting about it, and should the law uh, should let the law run its way. Mm. Okay. Right. Well, I mean, I wanted to ask you whether or not. The presidential pardon has to be a specific consideration or considered for a specific individual or whether or a certain category can be considered for presidential pardons. Um, Again, it isn't any specification because we don't have a law governing a situation, for mm. instance. Um, So I think, again, but what you do see is the president will... There has been... um, some constitutional court judgment saying, well, you know, um, president can, for instance, take into account if um, if it was if it is an act of mercy, for instance, or there was to correct a miscarriage of justice, for instance, um, or it will trigger public interest, or it will be a weighing up. And again, how he applies his mind, it will need to be rational if it comes to that point. All right. Uh, well, uh, what I was getting at is. It, is it potentially possible to say, well, the people from this date to that date, their records are expunged for this crime? Is that a possibility or must it always be a very considered decision where he says, well, specifically Tsapo's crime and specifically Millicent's crime and specifically Christine's crime, I'm going to expunge? Is there a differentiation between you or there's nothing about that at all? That's what I was getting at. Well- uh, sorry, yeah. um, didn't, sorry. Um, okay, so it has been, for instance, it has been a case where President Mandela has, for instance, um, regarding, I think it was a 90, uh, it was, when was it, 96, 98, not quite sure about that, but when, for instance, women who were sentenced, oh, women yes. who have children from a certain age who were sentenced, so we were in a general group. That was actually, um, his, that decision was actually taken on review because of the fact that the um, exclusion of men in a specific group, for instance. Mm-hmm. But an individual could also go a specific group. Okay. Um, when it comes to a group right, or say, for instance, a group falling into a specific category, I think mm-hmm. it would be different considerations, it will, um, in, for instance, in an individual case, but it will still be you know, public benefit, public interest. Um, one could probably argue when it comes to, you know, group classification, um, does it maybe not infringe on our constitutional rights considering our, for instance, if it was for women in, um, being, being sentenced, general, uh, kind of general classification, whereas what about men, doesn't it discriminate now? So that could probably be taken at, on that factor on review because it's still a presidential pardoning or uh, no guidelines, um, in its prerogative power. But it can be um, it can be taken on in terms of our constitution it has to be exercised in terms of our um, constitutional constraints. Mm. Well, it has just gone nineteen thirty one, so it's just after half past seven, and we are in conversation with Christine Puerta, who is the manager for the centre. Center at the Center for Constitutional Law, and we are discussing presidential pardons. Now, Christine, uh, to which crimes uh, do presidential pardons apply? Doesn't matter what crime I committed. Are there crimes that are definitely a no-no um, for a presidential pardon? Well, again, I mean, 
um, there is again no specifications. Um, you know, again, we don't have laws specific providing for it. And um, we have seen, we've seen, for instance, women saying, like I said before, women sentenced of children. So it's not, you know, it's for, for, um, for specific crimes. So there isn't specific concerns. Uh, specific crimes will be, be considered for presidential pardoning. I think it's important to differentiate from, for instance, if you, if you, if you committed a crime and you were convicted now and you sentenced and you try to get your criminal record, you know, for employment reasons, um, you want an expansion from a national register, that's a completely different story. Because then only, for instance, then certain crimes won't trigger, you won't be able to, to apply for expanding your criminal record. And, um, for instance, if you if it was a crime involving a child, um, if, if, you know, there's very specific categories regarding that, for instance, and very, very serious crimes you wouldn't be able to expand your criminal record mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's a very different consideration to presidential pardoning. Um, we see, you know, there has been some, you know, for political reasons as well. Again, it's it's it will be have to, it has to be reviewed on case uh, it has to be considered by the president on case to case basis. Okay. Right. Now, w- one of the things that is sort of I'm going to ask you this question, but I'm also going to ask our, our next guest the, the question because it's 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 possibly what makes um, the current case perhaps so divisive is that. Um, the reason why the crime is committed or the circumstances under which the crime was committed are so sensitive, are so um, relevant to so many people. There seems to be a sense of injustice about having to pay exorbitant fees and a pushback against that. And people are making the comparison to struggles which happened pre-94 as well. What do you think the effect of these types of comparisons are where a person says, or a group, you know, maybe a section of the of, of the public says, but the the cause is noble. Um, the uh, the reason for the crime having been committed is understandable. All of that uh, versus others who say, well, if we allow for this person's record to be or, or this person to get a, a, a pardon, what about all the others who believe that their cause is noble? Do you have anything to say about that? Yes, I think in this specific instance, um, it has been a death figure. It is quite a sensitive matter, um, considering the cause, you know, it was for, for um, um, championing for um, free, edu- free higher education. And I think, you know, that is, uh, in terms of our constitutional right to protest is protected. Again, it has to be weighed up against the fact that property was damaged, the property of the South African police services. Um, so they are definitely factors which will need to be weighed up and that's where the public interest and public benefit would definitely come into account um, by the president and how he applies his mind. But I think there's definitely, um, you know, if a legal process has run its course and it's um, um, and he's been finally convicted, I mean, he can go all the way, um, you know, exhausting all legal remedies in this case and he's got no form of appeal left and he's finally convicted then he could apply for presidential pardoning. And these specific, considering this trigger specific constitutional rights at a time of all, um, and these personal circumstances might also be might also be considered. Considering, the, you know, it was damage to property, um, was it a victimless crime, and what to extent, how, how do your police feel about it? You'll get reports from your, your you will also, um, I'm sure, if a president applies his mind to it, there's various factors. The public interest regarding these different weighing up of different rights will be considered.
Mm-hmm. But generally, um, and I like the fact that you already got got an answer it. But um, but this one you were answering very specifically for the you know the Let's talk about just a random human being who 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 is applying for a presidential pardon. What makes someone eligible for one? Generally, what are those things that the president? I mean, you've been saying rationality, rationality, rationality is important, but what are those things that we can point out and say, okay, that's something that might be worth considering this person um, to be granted a presidential pardon? For instance, oh, so what I mean by rationality is if a decision of the president is to be taken on review, it doesn't necessarily mean it will be taken by review. If, someone, if um, for instance, the political party feels, well, the president didn't apply his mind here, they would be able to take on review on rationality. So just to understand um, the nationality aspect. But um, getting back to your question, for instance, an excessive, um, excessive sentence, that could probably also trigger... Um, trigger consideration. Um, considering personal circumstances, someone is very vulnerable, um, someone who's, who might be, um, who is, um, um, you know, not just a, care, a caregiver, um, but, you know, there's very personal circumstances which, which might, but I do think act if you, if you, if you focus more on a public interest and public benefit, which in this case might, might be a big factor which can be taken into account, considering the way different um, factors to weigh in. Um, taking a season of four, so it is. It's not. It's it's difficult to say. Yeah. Um, anyone can apply for presidential pardoning um, again, um, but I would I would think a factor which would definitely trigger, you know, which would definitely excessive sentencing would could be. Yeah. But again, you have your legal remedies to exhaust first. Um, you know, which is which definitely. which has to be exhausted before we can consider presidential pardoning. Definitely. And we definitely have to conclude our interview as well. But just in, you know, finally, do you think presidential pardons are important? Perhaps can you just answer that in like 30 seconds for us? Do you think they are important and serve an important uh, part in our South African constitutional dispensation? Well, this has actually been an aspect which has been, you know, debated about a lot, you know, concerning, you know, political, um, it might be politically abused. I think presidential pardoning has a specific history. Um, there is, um, you know, to consider many other countries, this is not, it's not new, it's not um, new to our country in specific, yeah. it's not unique to our country in specific. I think it's an absolute, it's a, it has to be differentiated from the legal process and option to appeal and um, to present your case. Um, but, but I do think presidential pardoning does play a role. It's an important role in our, you know, it is, uh, in our uh, legal system as well regarding um, forgiveness and um yeah, excellent. And it has a specific history. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much, Christine, for joining us. That was Christine Boetzer from the Center for Constitutional Law at the FW de Clark Foundation. Thank you so much. You were awesome. So up next, you're going to be speaking to Pepelapi Dube, and she is she's a lot of things: a legal researcher, a journalist, and analyst. She does a lot, and she wrote a very interesting article last week about the minister's tweets and she basically unpacked that for us academically from a legal point of view and we're going to be chatting with her next about her views on presidential pardons and what she can add to this conversation from her expertise bringing you the facts handing you your rights this is law focus
Welcome back to the show. You're with Tapo and Millicent. Remember, you can contribute to the conversation at Vow FM. That's on Twitter using the hashtag LawFocus. Uh, and you can also communicate with us via WhatsApp. Uh, the, t- the number to use zero eight four zero seven eight four nine one two zero eight four zero seven eight four nine one two. We're talking about presidential pardons. We're talking about the fees must fall activist, and we've just had a very good, uh, interesting, but perhaps technical conversation about <laughs> <laughs> about presidential pardons. Uh, perhaps let's uh, let's take it and make it a little bit more human, a little bit more practical, and let's talk to uh, Miss Dube. Uh, she's a legal researcher and amongst many many things also quite a good writer herself with a great opinion piece mm. on the topic uh, uh hello miss dube good evening and thank you for having me thank you. uh, you're very welcome here we're, we're very excited to speak to you um uh, the the Minister of Justice and Constitutional Development last week indicated, of course, that he was going to assist with, uh, you know, uh, a presidential pardon, and then that had to be now put on ice, given that Kabeshe um, uh, is going to exercise his legal rights uh, to an appeal, etc., etc. Um, can this, you know, we were talking about one individual, and he's famous, this one individual, uh, but there are a number of convictions, there have to be, a few convictions resulting from the FISMAS four protests. Um, have we lost focus of those? And uh, is there something we can do about those? Is there something we should do about those? Well, certainly. I think that there are quite compelling reasons to perhaps reconsider the convictions that came as a result of taking part in the protest action in the Fismas 4 protests. And I think it's just first of all important to bear in mind that the whole entire um, or rather a scheme, the setup of criminal justice law isn't always about um, it, well, it, it includes an element of punishment but it also includes you know, an element of mercy which is why we have uh, for example presidential pardons and if not presidential pardons then we have uh, the law does allow for things such as amnesty mm. so having said that you know there is a sufficient legal basis to reconsider those convictions I think especially if you consider the the, the overwhelming public interest and the fact that this was, after all, a protest which was aimed at um, at, at ensuring the, the observance of other constitutional rights, which was namely access to higher education. And if you consider again, you know, the gravity of the offence, especially if you take into account Gregesh's. Uh, in the matter. You know, the fact that he did plead guilty to malicious damage to property as well as public violence, but um, he didn't actually set the police car alight. And also the amount, the fact that he also already spent time behind bars. So I think these would be the sort of compelling arguments that one could make in terms of saying that the, uh, the, the, the individuals who took part in these protests should receive some kind of reprieve. Mm. And I'm sure as someone who works in, in this field and you've been writing extensively about this, 
you've also heard the other arguments about people who were protesting in service delivery uh, strikes and might have committed similar offences and also find themselves in a situation where they have been convicted and are uh, in, in, imprisoned for you know a long period of time. Does this in any way potentially open up the floodgates to such people um, who might look at their situation as very similar to the FISMAS for movement activists? It wouldn't necessarily open floodgates as such because I think there are enough checks and balances in the system to ensure that only the most deserving individuals would receive some kind of pardon or some kind of amnesty. But I think in general it speaks to the fact that we simply don't have a sufficient public order policing unit and also the fact that we largely have a state, especially at local government level, which only responds to protests when individuals resort to extreme violence. And that's really the only time that, you know, elected officials, you know, councillors at at what level, for example, would then be in a position to accede to demands made by the community. So I think we need to look at, I think, the bigger picture and the bigger picture being that we don't have proper public order policing. I think the Marikana example was perhaps, uh, Marikana was perhaps the most jarring example of the fact that we simply don't have police who are properly trained, who know how to use, uh, who know how to use a reasonable force, who know how to properly engage with, uh, with, with protesters. And at the same time, we also have a state which is largely failing to deliver on its constitutional mandate. And this is what feeds into, you know, the toxic nature of a lot of these protests. Mm. Mm, mm, no, that's true. Um, Listen, I, I hate to play devil's advocate, but I have to ask this because it is on the minds and on the lips of a lot of people. We have an individual, as noble as his cause may seem to him, who has pleaded guilty, perhaps on bad legal advice, now says, but hang on, I shouldn't have pleaded guilty. Okay, which is understandable. But I've never met, and I've done a few criminal cases in my time, I've never met... Uh, as a person convicted who doesn't feel hard done by or who doesn't feel as though they deserve uh, some sort of an exception or perhaps who feels as though I was justified, I needed to commit this crime because of poverty, because of provocation, because I had a noble cause. I was doing it for the benefit not only of myself, but perhaps of my community, or perhaps of my family, my children, whatever the case may be. It's always more than just themselves. Is this really all that different from the rest that we meet in the courts? Well, I'm not sure that I necessarily share that viewpoint. Mm. I think especially if you consider what I think is the rather particularly harsh sentence which was meted out. I think obviously, you know, it is important to maintain, you know, a delicate balance between uh, punishing offenders on the one hand and on the other hand, ensuring that the punishment or sentencing that they receive from the courts is a sentencing which meets the gravity of the offense. Mm. And I think here, if we take into account, you know, the fact that this was the first time offender, the fact that he didn't succeed in setting alight the police vehicle, and the fact that he was really one out of 
hundreds of protesters and that he wasn't on his own mm-hmm. the fact that he was also acting in concert with other students and he was um, in the process of you know protesting and this is a right which is enshrined in the constitution I think all of these were compelling factors you know and even if he did plead guilty but I think Perhaps the sentence that he received did not warrant the offences that he, of of which the court found him guilty. So I think that delicate balance in this instance appears to have been overshot. And I think this particular case provides compelling reason for there to be some kind of pardon or some kind of amnesty because that balance, which seeks to ensure that his rights at the end of the day uh, not sacrificed at the altar of public interest. Yes. Um, so, yeah, so it is important or, or, to... Or, or simply making an example for the sake of making an example, hey? We shouldn't do that as yes. well. The court shouldn't just make an example for the sake of making an example. Um, for instance, yes, by giving absolutely. a very, a, a, a very, very, very harsh sentence in this instance. Um, but on that one, I'll say I, I agree with you on that one. Would it be possible then, in your mind, to to sort of marry the two, to say let's let's, for instance, assume that he succeeds at the very least on the appeal for the sentencing, to say, but hang on, the sentence is shocking, it is far too harsh and uh, he then gets credit for that and after that then gets a presidential pardon would that be perhaps a, a happy medium where the person is in fact convicted given an appropriate sentence and then pardoned with all the considerations that come with a presidential pardon well, I'm not sure that I would have any more to add. <laughs> I think you pretty much uh, laid it out properly, you know, in the sense that he's already served time. He's mm-hmm. been behind bars since December 2017. This has come at great cost to him, you know, the fact that he's had to disrupt his studies, the fact that, you know, his freedom of movement is curtailed. So I think, you know, as you've pointed out, I think the prudent way forward would be for him to, you know, um, get a reduction in the sentence and essentially be sentenced to the time that he's already served in addition to receiving a presidential pardon. But of course, he first of all needs to exhaust the available legal remedies. So if he's going to petition the High Court, then it would mean that the High Courts would have to agree with the findings of the lower courts that there are no reasonable prospects of success in that case. And thereafter, the avenue to a a presidential pardon would be available to him. Mm. Well, it's just gone eight minutes to eight o'clock. We are speaking to Pepe Lapi Dube, who is a lot of things, including a legal researcher, and I guess that's what we're speaking to her in that capacity uh, right now. Uh, and we're discussing presidential pardons. You know, Pepe Lapi, I'm happy that you dealt with the issue of the amount of uh, years that he, he was sentenced to, which I also thought, is this not a bit too harsh, looking at all the factors that you have actually outlined? Now, in your personal opinion, Regarding the fees must fall activists generally and um, would you say that the law and perhaps universities and potential employers dealt harshly with these people considering that the cause that uh, was being fought has now kind of been granted um, at least financially? 
Well, certainly, but I think on the I think your question really speaks to you know the the broader clash in society in society in our um, value system. You know, in the sense that we have this very progressive, very aspirational constitution, which which provides for you know the rights to access higher education and also the rights to, uh, to, to, to to protest and to be out on the street etc right but on the other hand this um, liberal nature of the constitution isn't necessarily reflected in society at large so for example you know corporate companies would expect you know their new graduates or, or their new um, hires to behave a certain way and they would obviously frown upon um, individuals who have taken part in protest action because they believe that it's not part of corporate culture mm. and they would also in, in a sense uh, feel threatened. I think there have been studies which mm. suggest that and that it also speaks to a generational um, shift in the sense that this generation would be fearful of the fact that this is a younger generation that's coming in and the generation that's informed and um, knows how to stand up for itself and knows how to demand how to be treated better. So all of those are the kinds of concerns that a lot of corporations deal with. And because of that, they would rather fall back onto their traditional practices, which is, you know, the fact that they simply want individuals who will toe the line and individuals who are not going to rock the proverbial boat. So uh, again, it's, it's really just it speaks to you know the fact that we have a constitution, but the same constitution isn't, or this, the spirit and the values of the constitution aren't necessarily reflected in broader society. I think that's very interesting. I guess it would be interesting to also find out whether the reintegration into society of uh, people with who have been granted presidential pardons is simple. Um, do they come back rehabilitated generally? Perhaps not the educated people that we are speaking about now, but those who might not have been university students at all. Well, in, in, in essence, the, the whole idea really behind uh, having individuals uh, behind bars, and I think if we also consider the fact that, you know, the department that is responsible for uh, prisons is actually called correctional services, the whole idea behind um, sentencing individuals is so that they can be rehabilitated. So, of course, you know, given budget cuts, etc., it doesn't always work in practice. But on paper, you know, there is a, a move to ensure that um, these people come out and they're able, you know, to fit into society and to contribute meaningfully to society. Mm. So, for example, you know, they're given a new set of skills, they're given anger management classes. So that that's really supposed to be how the Department of Correctional Services works. But I think when it comes to the actual pardon itself, it's really a discretion that's left to the president. And the president can consider a number of factors, including what the victims of that particular person's uh, crime feel. 
and they are allowed to make uh, certain representations to the president. And also just the general public interest. So in Begish's case, for example, you know, the fact that uh, it was property that belonged to the South African Police Service that he tried to satellite. So SAPS in this instance would be able to have a say in, what, in, in, in whether or not the president should grant a pardon. So just to, you know, summarize that point, um, it really it's up to the discretion of the president and in any event the Department of Correctional Services has a duty to rehabilitate offenders and to make sure that they're able to be reintegrated into society. Mm. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Pepe Lapi. I think you were very excellent and I loved the empathy that you brought to the show this evening. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Good night. Thanks. Okay. Yes, Tepo, you go for it. Yeah, well, um, it's interesting. Um, I mean, you want to look at it from a slightly clinical point of view. But even if I do, you have to accept that, you know, we have stare decisis in this country, which is, um, what do they call it? Uh, Precedents. Uh, that That's right, yeah. And that, that includes sentencing as well. And so like cases should be treated like. And that means you should, shouldn't be, you know, too vastly different if one is convicted of a crime. Um, you know, you shouldn't have widely varying uh, sentences under normal circumstances. And here, I don't know that we have that here. Mm. We seem to have a very harsh sentence, yeah. if I'm looking at it. And the other consideration is that justice, although we do have precedents, we also have the idea that justice, particularly sentencing part of justice, can and should be individualized so the circumstances under which the crime was committed the impact the seriousness and the circumstances of the of the now convicted person are all taken into account uh, and so we need to think about that when we look at this case as well it's not it isn't like most crimes it no matter how you try to paint it it really isn't it was a crime um, uh, that was committed or pled guilty to um, under specific and almost unique circumstances that haven't occurred in this country for a very long time particularly mm. in that in that group of individuals so it's impossible to simply say but if we give this person a presidential pardon i think it's a false equivalent to say but then everybody else who commits circum uh, you know crimes under sort of protest marches would be entitled to one um so i i, I mean however you feel about it and i won't say how i feel about it but however you feel about it you have to take all of those things into consideration and then come out with an equitable outcome whether the whether the the, the trial court has done its job correctly I think there's a question mark there. Maybe in its in its sentencing, there's a question mark there. The Minister of Justice maybe overshot the mark as well. We have to take all of those things in consideration when we think about what to do with this individual and the others convicted or who pleaded guilty to lesser crimes under these circumstances. Thank you so much for that, Sabo. Contributing uh, to our show this evening was Christine Puerta, Manager for Centre for Constitutional Rights at the FW Declare Foundation, as well as Pepe Lapid Dube, who was um, speaking to us as a legal analyst. Remember that you can ca- catch all our shows on iono.fm or you can Google Vis for Vuzela and look for Law Focus and there you will find um, all our shows, this one as well as previous ones. Up next is a voice of hip-hop with Caesar the MC as well as the DLXL. For this evening, Evening. Well, from our producer, Simba Honde, our technical producer, Spe Muloy, our law focus researchers, researchers, Sisetu Zingelwa, Nalka Mamade, Sikle Monama, Sipati Makafane, Tepo Muhapi, as well as myself, Melissa Ndiweni. Thank you for tuning into Law Focus tonight. Good night. Good night.
Law Focus, point, point of information. Law Focus podcast is also available on iTunes. Search Law Focus.